Today on the show, I get my review of Spider-Man No Way Home, and then I tell you why the story told in that movie might be cropping up in other things we see in the news right now, including the conversation about the Voting Rights Act, also what took place in the Supreme Court with Sotomayor and the misinformation she gave about COVID, as well as what's going on with transgender athletics, all on the show today. You're about to make the jump from the echo chamber into free and independent thought on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching. Really appreciate you taking the time to like, subscribe, and then potentially share this video with other people if you if you like what you see. We've got a lot to talk about today, so I want to jump into it quickly, but first, just a couple of things. First of all, I want to let you know that every single Wednesday, we send out a weekly email that you guys can be a part of. This is where I like to interact with the people who watch this show, but then also, too, we give away lots of free stuff on a regular basis. So uh, if you want to check that out, you need to go to IndieThinker.org, and you can sign up for that today. Just scroll down, and you'll see where you can do that. And then also, while you're there on the site, you can support the show financially, but then you can also support us by getting some sweet gear at our merch store. So you can check that out at the top on the nav bar. Just click that, and then you'll see uh, some of the great quality clothing that we have to offer each and every one of you. And then finally, want to let you know that this show is sponsored by Element Funding and the Kevin Blair team. So these guys have been a longtime sponsor of the show. They're absolutely amazing. They have top-notch customer service, but more importantly, they're the ones that are going to be the gatekeepers for your home. So you need to call them today. Interest rates are going up. The Fed has already announced before the end of the year and probably sometime by the summer. Interest rates will look drastically different than they do right now. So you can go ahead and lock in a rate and get pre-qualified for a home today by going to kevinblairteam.com. All right, so before I go any further, I just want to say I really liked the Spider-Man movie. Um, I thought there were some really cool moments in it, and of course, the cameos are always one of the things that I like. I feel like there's some people who think that those are so obvious, but um, uh, but I like them. So I liked the Brick Grabber. If you saw the movie, you know who I'm talking about, and I look forward to see what happens with that in the future. Um, I like these movies. I, I don't think they're cinematic masterpieces, but I also disagree with Scorsese and then other people who want to ridicule them. I think there's a point to them. And Spider-Man No Way Home is, in particular, there is a, a very strong point. Now, I'll go ahead and say, I don't know if this was intended by the writers, director, uh, or, or anything like that. But, but the story does tell a very interesting narrative that I think we need to pay attention to. So, by the way, there, there really aren't going to be any spoilers, uh, I, I don't think, throughout this. I'll try to be very careful not to do that. And I don't think I need to give away any spoilers to kind of make the point uh, of the main theme, of the, or at least one of the themes of the movie that I think is important for us to take away from Spider-Man No Way Home. So, from the trailer, you can already tell that the premise of the movie is that uh, Mysterio lied about uh, uh, about Peter uh, about Spider-Man gave away his identity and so that's caused his world to get a little rocky and messed up and so as a result of that Spider-Man wants to change all of that and so he goes to Doctor Strange casts a spell and tries to flip that uh, around and in the process of doing that things go a little haywire and uh, Spider-Man has to reap the consequences for for his decision suffice to say uh, there's a lot that happens throughout but Ultimately, the, the key theme in the movie, so again, no spoilers, but the key theme is the, in the movie is that Spider-Man makes this decision and the world goes topsy-turvy. Now, one of the things that you won't know from the trailer, but I don't think is too much of a giveaway, is that at any point in time, um, Spider-Man will eventually get the decision, so maybe not at any point in time, but eventually get the decision to press a button and change everything 
that that he did wrong. All right. So he can just press one button and everything will be undone and he can fix the problems that he caused. But he's faced with another decision. He feels like, and at the behest of other people close to him, that he can potentially save the people who were brought into his world. And again, trying to be spoiler free here, but there were some people that were brought into his world as a result of his decision that don't belong there. And he thinks that that he can reform them, that he can change them in some way, uh, that he can be the cure for them. And he doesn't want to reap the consequences of yet another bad decision based upon the, the bad decision that he already made. And so he doesn't press that button. And then he goes on a humanitarian mission to try to reform the bad guys of the film. Okay, so maybe there's a little bit of a, a spoiler there, but not a big one. Essentially, that's the crux of the film. Now, the reason I think this is, this is important to tell you guys is because th that narrative, that point in the story really does, uh, really does get told well in the sense that because Peter Parker makes that decision, there are consequences that cost the people that he loves. Um, there are consequences that he himself has to pay. Um, and it costs lives because he makes the decision to do this. And here's the point. He makes the choosing, the decision to choose human empathy over virtue. Or in other words, he has the opportunity to do the right thing, and instead he chooses what feels good. So he wants to do what is going to make him feel the best or make him feel like he's really doing something uh, good for people, even though the more logical and right decision would be to go ahead and press that button and to end everything that he had caused and brought upon the world almost from a selfish perspective. But, but of course, he chooses human empathy over moral virtue. Now, uh, again, I don't know that the the director, the writer, whatever, intended to tell that story, but they happenstanced into that story. Because, you know, Aunt May will say things like, you know, uh, with great power comes great responsibility or however that quote goes. So the idea is that, you know, you have great power and you had to make these decisions to try to save these bad guys. Uh, so these are just the consequences. And because you are willing to pay those consequences, that's what makes you a hero. But really, at the end of the day, the story underneath that all is, is a much more important story about very much of what we're seeing right now, right before our very eyes. We're constantly seeing people weaponize empathy or choose human sympathy above doing that which is right. And we're confronted with this decision all the time in our lives. And true heroes know that they, that this is the decision that they have to make. Do they go with what feels right or what makes them feel better about themselves, which is exactly what Spider-Man did. It feels really good that he might be a reformer of the bad guys rather than the one that puts them in jail or fights crime. But the reality is, is that there are some people who wish to believe that evil doesn't exist and then they turn a blind eye to it. But in the real world, evil exists and we are forced with this decision to try to do the right thing or, 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 or on this side to try to do what feels good. And because Peter chose what felt good in that moment to try to be the hero who reformed the criminals instead of fought the bad guys, it, it ends up costing him dearly. Now, again, I won't talk about that cost, but ultimately, here's the point of, of that movie for me, is that we're seeing this all the time specifically in the way the legacy media lies to us constantly, in the way that certain narratives are spun a certain way to get us to believe things. What what very often the, the way the, the legacy media and even politicians try to do is they try to prey upon people's um, good nature. 
And, and ultimately, here's what I would say. I, I think there are two natures when, inside of us, undoubtedly, but I do think for all of us, Christian or non-Christian, religious or irreligious, there is a desire inside of each and every one of us to feel good and to feel like we are good. And so those who are in power will try to manipulate though that, that very primal urge inside of people, to, that, that primal urge to feel good about oneself and to feel like you are a good person. They will manipulate that, and so they'll try to say that if you do this, then you are a good person. Now, there is a term for this, and this is something that a lot of people historically uh, say has been coined by Vladimir Lenin. Now, whether or not that's true or not uh, is, is debatable, but nonetheless, uh, the idea is this. The idea is the useful idiot. And now, this is somebody who, uh, again, specifically Lenin gravitated towards and wanted to use but not because they were communist, but because they were people who they could use to propagandize their cause without understanding what their end goal was. So again, these are people who would fall for, for the veneer, let's just say, of the workers' paradise, right? Workers of the world unite. They, they, would, they would fall for the, the superficial covering of what sounds good, and then they would turn a blind eye to what the ultimate goal of this workers' utopia would be, or, or maybe another way, they would turn a blind eye to what it would actually take to create the workers' utopia. Like, if the workers of the world are supposed to unite, what happens to those who don't want to unite? How are you going to unite them? Well, of course, the, the useful idiot doesn't necessarily ask these questions. They just, they just hear, well, uniting is good, and workers working together is good, so it's got to be good, right? And so these are the people that Lenin and then later Stalin and then other communists would use to try to facilitate their end goal. But they would use these people, and they're idiots only in the sense not that they're stupid. Because this is that—that that is to miss the point. They're—they're—they're they're, they're ignorant of the end goal of what these these people are actually after. And now here is where we see so much of what is happening in our current atmosphere, where there are people in power, where there are politicians, people who have influence, who would like to deceive you based upon a superficial layer of things that they offer to you, but but it's incumbent upon us to go deeper. So I'm going to show you some of what's taking place in the news and how this is taking place on our headlines. So let's jump into those right now. A simple Google search for the big lie or election fraud will yield a bunch of results, most of which will all be of this kind of stripe. They'll all say, well, the big lie is that our elections are rigged or that there's something wrong with our elections or that there was some type of fraud that took place in the Biden-Trump election of 2020 and Democrats will come out in full force saying, no, that's not true. The election took place in the most pristine and beautiful way that you could possibly imagine. But yet right now on the eve of Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, the Harris-Biden administration is coming out in full force to get behind the voting rights bill. Here's just a little bit of their speech in Atlanta. How do you want to be remembered? At consequential moments in history, they present a choice. Do you want to be the side, the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? This is the moment to decide. 
to defend our elections, to defend our democracy. Longer lines at the polls. Lines that can last for hours. You've seen it with your own eyes. People get tired. They get hungry. When the Bible teaches us to feed the hungry and give water to the thirsty, the new Georgia law actually makes it illegal. Think of this. I mean, it's 2020. And now 22 going into that election. It makes it illegal to bring your neighbors, your fellow voters, food or water while they wait in line to vote. What in the hell heck are we talking about? Okay, so let's just get real here. Everybody wants safe and fair elections. Everybody wants elections to be secure. So why is it a bad thing to ask for voter ID? Of course it's not. The, obviously, what we've been talking about is that the claim is that that it disenfranchises black voters. Well, the truth is, is that even if you don't have a state-issued ID of some type, there are multiple different, and I've read through the Georgia, Georgia voting right uh, bill that was passed um, a while back, and it gives you multiple different avenues through which you can prove your identity. Now, it's just obvious that everybody should have to prove who they are when you go to vote. If you really care about safe and fair and secure elections, then you will want people to identify themselves with a photo ID of some type. So what is this really all about if it's not about voter ID? Well, of course, some people can be used and some people can be manipulated the moment the word racism comes up. But really, this is probably about a couple of things. This is about the fact that Biden has done multiple things that have been incredibly unpopular. Biden's approval rating has dropped to an all-time low, now at 33%. He had an incompetent Afghanistan withdrawal. He said that he was going to shut down the virus. And of course, more deaths uh, by multitudes have been experienced under Biden than under, under Trump. His vaccine mandate is incredibly unpopular. Uh, this guy is consistently doing things that have just been a failure. Oh, not to mention the Build Back Better Act, which was dead in the water. So everything that Biden has tried to do since he's been in office has been abject failure. And so now he's trying and desperately floundering, even at the cost of lying, to try to, uh, to, try to do something that will be popular uh, with people. And so the Democrats are going back to their old playbook. They're using the race card and they're hoping that people won't see what they're really after. And this is the thing that perhaps they're also after, is there been some talk about Biden being this institutionalist, you know, this this person that's been in politics forever and he just wants to toe the party line and just wants to, uh, you know, secure the <laughs> the institutions of American freedom. And he's always going to side with those institutions above more radical policy. But we know this is not true. Uh, Biden is the face of an old grandpa, but he is the politician of the stripe of Bernie Sanders. Um, I mean, maybe not as radical, but we have to admit from day one that Biden has been in office, he hasn't been an institutionalist. He's not inter interested in really securing elections. Do we really believe that that's true? Like from day one in office, more executive orders than any other president in the history of our presidency. But of course, uh, we excuse that because he was overturning things that Trump did. So we oh, turn a blind eye to that. Then we have 
the Equality Act that he signed early on in his presidency, presidency, which is radical policy. And then we have trillions upon trillions of dollars, some estimates, $5 trillion of, of, of spending in the Build Back Better Act. It's clear that, uh, that there is not institutional policies going on in the Biden administration. And so here's the real question. Is, is Biden after some type of rejiggering of the Senate? That's exactly what McConnell thinks, and that's what he'll say here. The nuclear option is ultimately an example of the arrogance of power. It would transform the Senate from the so-called cooling saucer of our founding fathers talked about to a pure majoritarian body. That was then-Senator Joe Biden. He continued, at its core, the filibuster is not about stopping a nominee or a bill, it's about compromise and moderation. Now, before President Biden abruptly reversed this position he'd held for decades, he was actually in very good company. If the filibuster is eliminated or budget reconciliation becomes the norm, a new and dangerous precedent will be set to pass sweeping partisan legislation every time there is a change in political control. Our nation may never see stable governing again. So there's been conversation about the filibuster and if that's a Jim Crow relic, as Biden has said. In fact, he loves that well, by the way. He will go to that thing over and over and over again. Uh, there's been conversation about re-aligning you know, the Supreme Court under Biden. I don't know if he'll do any of those things, but all of those things have been open for conversation for Biden in ways that they were not for previous presidents. So it surely seems that what this is actually about is lying to the American people, using the race card to get their emotions, and then actually trying to use a self-imposed crisis and then the real crisis of a pandemic, among other things, uh, economic and otherwise, uh, to try to rejigger American institutions and to try to rejigger the Senate and perhaps the House as well. Uh, I don't know what the extent of this will be, but I hope we can at least do this. Think for ourselves in regard to what we're being told. If we're being told that it disenfranchises black people for people not to get water from electioneering people in at polling places and that it's that it's disenfranchising black people to actually have to prove who you are so that there is no room for fraud in an election, well, then clearly something else is going on. So yet again, we see the media and our political classes desire to use you as a useful idiot. Don't let them. All right, let's go on to our next headline. So right now in the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court justices are weighing Biden's vax mandate to see if it is constitutional. Since we all know it is not, we have to pan over to blatant lies if you want to be charitable misspeaking. So here's Sotomayor making the most ridiculous statement you've ever heard in your life. We have hospitals that are almost at full capacity with people is severely ill on ventilators. We have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before, in, in serious condition, and uh, many on ventilators. All right, since the White House has been completely silent about this misinformation, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do you a favor, and I'm going to give you the actual numbers. 100,000 is a number that either she just totally misspoke or she was absolutely lying, but it's nowhere even close. In fact, since the pandemic started, 
1,000 children have died. Now, most of those children are probably children with some type of comorbidity, something that caused them to be high risk. Because we all know, and the statistics have borne this out, that COVID is not something that is particularly dangerous for kids. So the fact that the Chicago's teachers union union right now is shutting down again, like Lori Lightfoot at least is doing something about that um, and and fighting back against that because it's absolutely ridiculous. We all know that pros and cons are the kind of thing we have to weigh in life since there's no perfect world that we live in. And the pros of children getting a quality education far outweigh the cons of them potentially getting Omnicorn uh, and getting sick as a result of it. So the real number is since the pandemic started, only 1,000 kids have died of COVID. And right now, there's something around the number of 3,700 that are in the hospital either from or with COVID. You'll see that clip here. Who get hospitalized. But the other important thing is that if you look at the children who are hospitalized, many of them are hospitalized with COVID as opposed to because of COVID. And what we mean by that If a child goes in the hospital, they automatically get tested for COVID and they get counted as a COVID hospitalized individual, when in fact they may go in for a broken leg or appendicitis or something like that. So it's overcounting the number of children who are, quote, hospitalized with COVID. So the vast majority of that 3,700 are not kids that are severely sick, that are on Uh, you know, some type of ventilator or that are likely to die from COVID. These are kids that just happen to be in the hospital and have tested positive for COVID. So obviously, every single death, every single case, let's say, uh, of a child getting, getting this thing is something that we need to be concerned with. However, we don't need our Supreme Court justices lying to us or being so misinformed that they actually think this is going on. Now, this is people, this is a person, these are people who... Uh, essentially have the future of American lives in their hands in terms of their livelihood. Because if people don't give in to this strong arm tactic of the Biden administration to try to pander to the far left wing of the party who thinks everybody should be vaccinated, including your house plants, and then boosted 15 times if possible, rather than to actually protect kids. That's what we're really saying. That's what this is really about. And ultimately, here's what I would say is that this is yet again a reminder that you cannot trust people in sometimes the highest positions of authority in our world. And and you need not to be skeptical, not to be cynical, but you need to think for yourself. So what we need to do is we need to stay informed and we need to make sure that we are not being manipulated by people who may be misinformed themselves or may have bad motivations. All right, that's all I got to say about that. So let's go on to our last headline for the day. So you may have heard about Leah Thomas over at Penn State, who is a swimmer who was born a man and is now competing in female swimming. Before I jump into the story, let me give you some backstory. Leah Thomas is a man, a biological man, and is transitioning to become a woman and uh, is on hormone suppressants and that kind of thing. And again, she's a Penn State swimmer competing in girls' swim meets. And just recently, Leah Thomas, uh, this biological man, was in a meet with somebody who is a transgender man. I know this gets very confusing. So somebody who was born 
a, a woman, but is transitioning to a man. This person has had top surgery and is trying to transition to a man. Now, I, it's, it says in the article that, uh, and this is Isaac Hennig, by the way, who, who swims for Yale. Um, and it says that, that Isaac so far has not, uh, has not taken any hormones uh, to try, no, any testosterone to, to, to take that next step in, in their transition. And so these two went head-to-head in a competition together. And I want to read you an article from Insider right now uh, about this event. And so it says, trans swimmers faced off in an Ivy League meet, and the results upended transphobic arguments against their participation. Before we even get to the story, we already see a couple of things that are total mischaracterizations and flat-out lies. And the first one is this, is that this this uh, swim meet where Isaac, who is a biological woman, upends the transphobic arguments uh, against men competing in women's sports just because Leah Thomas, a man, lost to a biological woman who is becoming a man. Okay, again, super confusing. So if you just want to slam your head against the wall, I understand. Uh, but let's let's get to the upended part of this thing. So did it really? So a man that couldn't really compete in men's swimming events goes down and starts crushing women, but then loses to a woman. Does that really upend the argument? I think the obvious answer is no. We'll get to that and a little bit more of that in just a moment. Uh, but the other thing is this. is just, I just love anytime somebody has a disagreement about whether a biological man should compete in any sport that a woman is competing in and think that there is no like advantage for the man it's just it's absolutely ridiculous and you you call it transphobic of course because this is similar to the Jim Crow thing if we just label anything racist people will run from it and you can manipulate people through it so of course it is not transphobic to suggest that a man might have a competitive advantage in every single sport that has ever existed in the history of the world maybe except for like horse riding, and even then, who knows? Well, I'm gonna put right now on the screen for you a quick slide that will help you see the difference between men and women swimmers. So as you can tell by what's up there, that men outperform women in almost every single category you could possibly think of in swimming, and by a pretty significant margin. Even the lowest men on, on the, the chart here typically fare around the same uh, the same level as as women. So we we understand that really here here's the gist of this article and the thing that we really have to dig into. Transgender athletes participation in women's sports has been the hot button issue of hot button issues in recent years. But for all the arguments over whether it's fair for trans athletes to compete in women's sporting events, there is scant concrete examples available for either side to cite. Now, of course, this is absolutely a lie. Now, in terms of real-life examples, of course, we don't have concrete in terms of actual opportunities for for this to take place because this is such a rather new phenomenon that there is not concrete evidence in the sense of actual physical examples. However, there is thousands upon thousands of years of biological scientific discovery stating what we all know to be true, which is that men have a competitive advantage with women. So actually, the burden of proof belongs to those in the transgender community to, to try to create some evidence that there is a difference 
or there is no real difference for men competing in women's sports or that men who are on hormone suppressors don't have some type of competitive advantage still when competing in these sports. The onus, the burden of proof is upon them to try to prove that their radical assertion that flies in the face of everything that we know about science, that that burden of proof is upon them. So this just simply goes back to yet another proof text, if you will, of this useful idiot idea that, that people are told today that in order to not be transphobic and in order to believe the science, right, that you must believe my version of the science, which is a radical version of reality, that, that human bodily mutilation can change the substance of what it actually means to be a biological man or a biological woman. But of course, we know this not to be true. While the physical body matters, your, your sex organs alone don't make you a man or a woman. So chopping off one portion of your body or adding a portion to your body is not going to change the scientific biological reality that there is a distinct difference between a man and a woman, whether we like it or not. And so the point is, more importantly than, than anything else that I've tried to lay out through all of these stories today, is that we have to be careful that we do not fall for sympathetic arguments because in the wake of radical human sympathy, common sense dies. And if you've wondered why common sense is such a rarity in our day and age, it is simply because of this. Because human sympathy now demands, especially when in its weaponized form, demands that if you're a good person, you have to believe this, even if it flies in the face of everything that we know to be true. Now, Far be it for me to suggest that we don't need human sympathy or that we don't need truth. We need both of them. But if we're going to violate a principle here, our self-imposed human sympathy could use to go down a couple of notches while we get back to the importance and the necessity of truth, lest we convince ourselves of things that don't actually exist, which seems to be happening more and more and more. All right, well, we'll end the show today as we end every show with going to some Christian news and some Christian headlines in our segment, Christianity Not Today. All right, as we close out kind of what we've been talking about today with useful idiots and the human sympathy that sometimes overrides our understanding of truth and reality, if we're not careful, uh, I bring you to... A really cool story, and this story in and of itself is not Christian. However, I suspect that somewhere deep down underneath there is there is a Christian element here. But, but, but this story, I think, is very, very powerful and will help kind of close out what we've been talking about today. So here's this article. And this is according to Yahoo Life, David Artavia writing, Crystal Hefner removes everything fake from her body, deletes all her risque photos. Modesty is what empowers me. Now, Crystal Hefner is the widow of Hugh Hefner, and you wouldn't know that by looking at her because she's incredibly young looking. But nonetheless, something interesting is happening with Crystal Hefner. So she's totally reimagined who she is in terms of what she wants to portray to people, even going as far as to what that headline says, saying modesty is powerful. So I want to show you a post that she just recently placed on her her Instagram, because I think this is truly fascinating. After the last handful of years staying true to myself on social media, I feel that all the people here with me at this point actually care and are investing in my life in a positive way. For that, I thank you. 
So let me read between the lines for you real quick. Essentially what she's saying there is that everybody else that was on my Instagram simply wanted to see nude photos of me or at least risque photos of me. And now the people who are behind me actually care about what I stand for and actually support me as an individual rather than peeking at my body. All right, she goes on. Over five years, my account has shifted from not always safe for work posts to my real safe for work life. The real me, she continued. I was living for other people before to make others happy, suffering internally in the process. Now, here's the thing I want to say. You can say everything you want to about feminism and liberation and the female figure and how actually nudity is empowering. You can say whatever you want to about it. But everybody that's actually in the industry, deep down, if they're not lying to themselves, will tell you exactly what Crystal just said. That is actually incredibly dehumanizing just to, to basically create photos for men to oogle at and to be used for my body. Now, Crystal has actually found what real true female empowerment looks like. So what she's done is she's taken all of her plastic surgery away and she's undone it all. Uh, she's gone back in and whatever that has entailed, because it doesn't go into detail in the article, she's asked for that all to be removed. She's removed all of the risque photos from her Instagram pro profile and is now just posting real pictures of her life. Now, she said this interesting ha thing happened when, when this took place. So her other peers who were continuing to post these kind of things and to lead people to like the OnlyFans site and all that stuff, they were continuing to get follower after follower after follower after follower and she continued to decrease in followers as she made this transition but then that kind of bottomed out and then she went back to the place where she started getting more and more and more followers and started to increase her followership as she started to make these this stance this this very strong stance and so i'll read one last thing about this and then i'll try to bring it home but now I can confidently and 100% proudly say modesty is what empowers me these days. And because it feels so much better internally, it will probably be this way for the rest of my life. Modesty empowers me. Now, that is one heck of a controversial statement in our, in our modern day and age, believe you me. And for her to risk losing all those followers and to indeed to lose some, but then to show how truth actually really matters in a society that's slipping further and further away from the truth. So I, 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 so I share that with you because I think that that just alone really emphasizes if we get back to reality, if we get back to truth, there is a corresponding reward for that in a society where we are being treated continually like useful idiots for political gain and for political causes. But the other reason I wanted to talk about Crystal Hefner is because this also flies in the face of something else within the Christian world. Uh, not too long ago, there was a, a conversation between a actress, a Christian actress, um, a girl named Yvonne Orji, and I may be pronouncing that wrong, and Haley Bieber, Haley Baldwin. And they're discussing some of the feedback that they get about their lifestyle and being confessed, you know, out Christians. Uh, because Haley Bieber Baldwin is a Victoria's Secret model, and then this other actress is asked to do nude scenes all the time, and she will do them, and she'll have sex scenes, but she'll you know, try to draw a line in the sand and say, well, I don't want to go this far, but I'll do this, this, and this, okay? And so in the process of their conversation, a very different idea is espoused by these two very young women, and here's that. And this is Haley Bieber saying, when she gets criticism from people, am I doing something? Am I setting a bad example? And the reality is, no. Your relationship with God is not going to be the same as mine. We all have different relationships and ways that we relate to the Bible and relate to Jesus. 
All right, so as you can tell, those two ideas here with Crystal Hefner and with Haley Bieber Baldwin's quote are from two drastically different worlds. One of them comes from the world of the entirely subjective, which you would think as a Christian, if you have Bible to believe um, differently, that you would reject. And then this other quote that comes from what could come directly from scripture, from James, talking about the power of modesty. In other words, to drill down a little bit further into that quote, everybody has their own relationship with God. We all relate to God different. That's not a Christian statement. Could you imagine the early disciples, you know, conversing amongst themselves? How far is too far in nude scenes? Like, it's almost unthinkable to even question it. And this is to not, not to be judgmental or to be critical of these women. They're obviously very young, and they're trying to figure out how to have a very powerful career in the midst of trying to also toe the line of their faith. So, hey, look, I have sympathy for you. But the reality is, is what you just said, Haley Bieber Baldwin, is actually a quote from, from pantheism or polytheism more so than it is, and certainly from idolatry, rather than from Christianity proper, which is actually more what Crystal Hefner says without even invoking Jesus. And what I mean by this polytheism or idolatry is that this is the modern day sentiment of Jesus, right? Jesus becomes whatever you want him to be. Jesus is the person that I relate to the way I want to relate to. And so I make it up as I go along. And there are no rules to speak of in terms of like how we should conduct ourselves in the world after all, right? It's just my personal relationship and your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, of course, that couldn't be anything further from the truth. There is a thing called the Bible and it's time for us as Christians, if we say we believe in Christ and we say we believe the Bible to actually start practicing it, but perhaps these girls know if they actually practice scripture, what would happen to their career. And of course, they can't afford for that to happen because something else is pulling them. This modern day idea that my platform is the thing that I reach people with. Now, maybe that's true. However, you reach more people with the truth than you do from a platform. And if the platform isn't preaching the truth and the God's honest truth, the biblical truth, then what are we really reaching people for? I think it is time, or reaching them with, I think it is time for us to quit hiding. It is time for us to quit pretending that we can think just like the world thinks and there's no difference between us and them and everybody's got their own relationship with Jesus. Well, of course, everyone has their own relationship with Jesus, but it doesn't mean you get to make up the rules as you go along. It means that we follow the Jesus who, if we follow fully, people's lives are impacted and changed. And yeah, modesty is beautiful. So unlike Matthew West, I'm not going to apologize for it. Modesty is beautiful, and we need to get back to proclaiming it and being unapologetic about it because in the process, a bunch of hurt and empty women are falling for the lies of the culture because good people won't stand up for the truth. But as for me, and I hope as for you, I refuse to be a useful idiot to any other agenda other than the truth. Thank you so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.